0: Hebrews 11.4. Can I just read it? It's brief. It says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. And to put that in context as we look in Genesis, you'll see, because his his brother King killed him. Um, So faith made some kind of a difference in Abel's life and caused him, like it says up here, to give God his very best. And, And as we're going through Hebrews chapter 11, that's what we're wanting. We're wanting to say, as God has called us to be people of faith, what difference will it make in our lives, in the way we see things, in the way we we live our lives. So the starting pistol fired and the men were off. As they rounded the last corner, the announcer shouted, they've cleared the last curve. Liddell is still leading. He's increasing his lead, increasing and increasing. What a race. Increasing, how could that be? But as the runners entered the last 100 meters, this is the 400 meter race in the 1924 Paris Olympics. As the runners entered the last 100 meters of the race, that's exactly what took place. And then in the final stretch, if any of you have watched Chariots of Fire, if you haven't, shame on you. If you've watched Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell, uh, as he finished his races, went into his odd, familiar end-of-the-race running style where he'd throw his head back so he couldn't even see what was ahead of him, threw his head back, opened his mouth, and his arms were just flailing in the air. And moments later, Eric crossed the finish line. He had won the Olympic gold medal in the 400 meters. And and what's incredible though, not only did he win, but he beat his nearest competitor by five meters. Now for those of us who live in the United States, that means about 16 feet. Incredible. In a 400 meter race, his nearest competitor, and these were the top runners from the world competing in the Olympics and at the same time set a new world record. Um, Sixty years later, the American runner who was favored, Horatio Fitch, recalled, he said, I had no idea that he could win or would win. In fact, our coach told me not to worry about Liddell because he was a sprinter and he would pass out 50 yards before the, the finish line. Fitch ended by saying, though Eric was a sprinter by practice, he was probably the best 100-meter runner in the world at the time. Liddell ran the pick of the world's quarter milers off their feet. So the question, just to get us going this morning, is why was Eric Liddell, a sprinter, a 100-meter runner, running the 400 meters in the Paris Olympics, instead of his specialty, and why is he remembered remember today? Why did they do a movie about him? I mean, just to put it into perspective, 1924 Paris Olympics. How many of you know who won the high jump? And you all need to do better research. How many of you knew who won the mile? Or maybe it would be the 1500 meters. The shot put, the javelin, the pole vault. We don't remember any of those guys, but we remember Eric Liddell. What was it about him that made him the man he is today? So like I started, I said we're spending several weeks looking at faith and how it it shapes our world. And just to kind of review from what Daniel shared last week, and I love this summary, that faith is a confidence in God and a conviction about God that comes from truly understanding God. Okay? Faith is a confidence in God. Do you have that confidence in God this morning? It's a conviction about God, who He is, which comes from understanding God. You know, put it simply, if we get God, you know, if we get him, get who he is, it will change the way we live our lives. I I love in Psalm 910, it says, Those who know your name trust you. And it's the psalmist speaking to God. Those who know your name Trust you. Now, there might be some of you here this morning that don't know my wife, or you don't know her very well. And so, if my wife were to walk up to you after after the service and say, "I got a deal for you," my wife wouldn't do that. But if if she did, (laughs) and 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 you were to hear her deal, and it's kind of weird. Thanks, I'll think about it. But I guarantee you, if my wife came up to me and told me anything or asked me anything, I would trust her. I know her. I know my wife. I I 100% trust her because I know her. Think about it, Psalm 910. Those who know your name, God, and, and, and speaking about God's name, it's talking about his character, his being, who he is. Those of us who know God will trust God, will be people of faith. And so it says in Romans 10:17 that faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So, so if you want faith, what, is it, what, what does it say? You need to spend time getting to know God, right? If we want to be people whose lives are changed and as we look about these, uh, upon these people of faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and we see their lives and we see the people that they were, they were people of faith because they were people who knew God. And because they knew Him, they had a confidence and a conviction about Him that changed their lives. This morning we're going to see that if we're people of faith, we will be people who will give our best to God. We will never give God our second best. Because people of faith aren't just people who will live religious lives, you know? Aren't people who will live half-hearted will will show up or or or, or do what they think they need to do because it's the right thing to do. but people of faith will live their lives. If we are people of faith, we will live our lives, radical lives, lives lived to the fullest for God's glory. And that's what we're going to see this morning about this man Abel that we're going to look at. But just to follow up on Eric Liddell's story just a little bit, because he was a man who lived, lived his life to the fullest for God's glory. You know, And I think it's that we probably would have never heard of Eric Liddell if he wasn't that kind of guy. Being the favorite to win the 100 meters in the 1924 Paris Olympics, those of you that have watched the movie Chariots of Fire will know that he bowed out of the 100 meters race in the 1924 Paris Olympics. Incredible, the favorite to win, and he bowed out of it because the heats, the preliminary heats, were to be run on a Sunday. And he had a conviction that God didn't want him to run on Sunday. He strongly felt that, that to run on Sunday would be disobeying God. And, and you've got to understand this. I mean, the chance to win an Olympic gold medal, he gave up as the favored contestant out of his strong desire to obey God. Isn't that incredible? How many of us would do that? Um, as a result, he experienced tremendous criticism. He was a national hero. He was called the Flying Scotsman. He was maybe the most famous person in Scotland at the time uh, as an athlete. Um, he was a member of the, at one time a member of the national rugby team. I mean, he, he was a hero. And when he took the stance that he wouldn't run in the 100-meter race, which was would have been the first time that a Scotsman had ever won the 100-meters race, giving all that up, he, he experienced tremendous criticism. I mean, it's like he went from being this hero to being like um, a traitor, to his own country. But he was determined in his desire to glorify God and obey God. And for Eric, the results of the Olympics were in God's hands. And so six months before the Olympics, the 24 Olympics in Paris, he began to train for the 400 meters, which is, if you're good at math, you'll know that that's four times, 100, right? And which isn't a sprint but a middle distance race and requiring a completely different training strategy. But we know the rest of the story because I started there, what ended in an amazing race, a dominating race and a world record. And, and, and it's why we know Eric Liddell today. If Eric Liddell had run the 100 meters against his conscience, I don't think we'd even know who he was today. It was how Eric Liddell lived his whole life. One year after winning the Olympics, uh, he also got a bronze in the 200meter two, race. One year after winning the Olympics, he went to China, he completely gave up running and went to China as a missionary. Um, ten years later, he died in a Japanese concentration camp in China. And this is how he was described by a fellow missionary. Uh, on March 3rd, 1945, at his memorial service at this concentration camp. He was literally God-controlled. This is what his friends said about him. He was literally God-controlled in his thoughts, his judgments, his actions, and words to an extent I have never seen surpassed and rarely equaled. Every morning he rose early to pray and read the Bible in silence, talking and listening to God, pondering the day ahead, and often smiling as if in a private joke with God. He was a man who knew God and his life showed it. So as we look at Abel's life this morning, I want, I want us to ask, does Eric's life, Eric Liddell's life, describe us? Individuals who knew God <laughs> and our lives are different as a result, giving our best for God. So Hebrews 11.4, because of faith, because of his faith, it says Abel offered a better sacrifice than Canaan. Because of his faith, God called him righteous. So I'd like us to look at three questions. and we're if you turn to Genesis, we're actually going to look at the story in Genesis chapter 4. As we answer the questions from, that we see really posed in Hebrews eleven four. what was Abel's better sacrifice? Okay. What was the better sacrifice? Literally, it says he offered more of a sacrifice. What does that mean? What was his better sacrifice? Second question, Why? Did he offer a better sacrifice? And third, what made him righteous? So if you're in Genesis 4, I'm going to read verses 1 to 5 just to give us the the story, and then we're going to answer these questions. Genesis 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And literally what she says is, I have brought forth a man, the Lord. With the help of is not there. So literally she says, I have brought forth a man, the Lord, or with the help of the Lord. Okay. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, he was a shepherd, and Cain worked the soil, he was a gardener. So what was Abel's better offering? Look at what we just read there, starting in verse 3. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So he was a gardener, and he brought some of the fruits of the soil. Now, Abel was a shepherd. Notice what it says about him. It says, Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Do you see the difference in the wording? I think it was kind of like this. Cain was told by mom and dad, Adam and Eve, uh, you know, it's. I think it's about, it would be appropriate if you brought an offering to God. <laughs> Sorry. She was a fake that she was going to get baptized. I think. Yeah. Um, so it's Adam and Eve are talking to Cain, and they're saying, "I think, you know, you know, you're kind of grown up now, and I think maybe it's time you brought an offering to the Lord to show the Lord your gratitude and, and appreciation, and you know, kind of build a relationship with God." And so Cain brought a token offering. I would say, as he's walking through his garden and he's looking at the squash and tomatoes and I was going to say pickles, but those come after, right? <laughs> the uh, cucumbers. Um, he's walking through and he says, okay, let me see. And So he grabs some squash and grabs some tomatoes, grabs some cucumbers, and he puts them all in a basket together and he gives them as an offering to the Lord. I mean, that's kind of literally what it says. He brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. He brought what he had available, but... I would say he brought what didn't cost him much, okay? And we're going to see that, I think, in in comparison with Abel. So Abel, it says, he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And, And this is what I see Abel bringing. He's thinking, man, what should I give to the Lord? my grandchildren. <laughs> not the tall one. That was my wife. <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> so Abel, he's thinking, oh, man, what, what, can I, what can I give to God? And he's thinking, to show my appreciation to God and my gratitude to God. And, and Abel, he went and he picked some new lambs and um, which would be you know if you're a vegetarian this morning forgive me but the which would be a delicacy right a young lamb and 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 and, and the meat that had the fattiest portions to it so when you you know you cook it up it's this delicious I mean, steak and and so Abel gave God what cost him something I mean that's what he didn't just grab some fruit, but he he picked out the new lambs and he offered those with their fat portions to God. He gave God something that cost him something. It wasn't just something he grabbed on his way to make the offering. It reminded me of in jesus uh, in, in the New Testament where Jesus and the disciples are are watching the rich people you know, plunk money into the into the offering and and along came a, a poor widow. Remember that? And she just put in two pennies, which is was nothing. But Jesus said it was her everything. She she gave her all. It it cost her. And I think what made Abel's offering better than Cain is it cost him something. It's something that he would have loved to have eaten, but instead he offered it to God. So the question is, why did he do that? Why did he offer a better offering? And we're going to go back to the beginning of Genesis 4 here because I think the answer is in their names. Their names. Notice, when Eve was pregnant, she gave birth to Cain, and she said, I mean, literally, she said, I have gotten a man, the Lord. And, and so Cain's name means gift. It's like I've gotten a gift from the Lord. And, and I think what Eve was thinking, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, I'll just read it for you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as Adam and Eve have sinned, and and, and God is Um, cursing the ground and and, and because of their sin and Adam and Eve and he says to the serpent in Genesis 3.15 he says I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers her offspring will crush your head and you will strike his heel." and it's a prophecy it's a prediction about the promised one who would come and would be the hope of adam and eve and all of mankind because of the sin that had come upon the earth and that but someday there was going to be this promised one who would be their hope because he would he would destroy satan and his power and and deal with this thing that was sin and death that had come upon mankind and and so i'm thinking from what Eve says, that she's thinking, she says, I've gotten a man, the Lord, that she's thinking, this is the promised one. He's the gift. And so I think Cain grew up believing that. That he was it. He was the one. almost sounds like a, a movie. Uh, and I'm thinking it went to his head that instead of thinking that God has graciously made me or brought me into this world to be the one through whom he would bring salvation that he's thinking I'm the one and I think he cease to have regard for anyone or anyone else. Not even God. After all, he was special. And I think it shows then in what he brings in his offering to the Lord. He he just brings God just some things he grabs on the way, some of the fruit of of his garden. He just grabs it on on his way. He doesn't he doesn't see God as special and whom he should offer something special to... He's the one that's special. You know, we've encountered people like that in our lives, haven't we? People that think they're it. (laughs) No. God's gift to humanity. Um, but, But maybe not God's gift. They're just the gift. Um... And so it shows in his offering; it's merely a token offering. It's not from his heart, not demonstrating gratitude. He's just fulfilling an obligation that I, I think Adam and Eve said, "Well, it's time you do this," and he did it. But there was no gratitude. There was no generosity. It, it wasn't something special that he gave to God. I think he 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 didn't know, or he'd forgotten, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, and And as we can forget that, we begin to think that we're something, and it's not God that's something. Now, we come to Abel, and I think what makes our understanding of Cain even more clear is what Eve named Abel. She wasn't a nice mother. Well, just because of how she named her second son. Abel means vanity or emptiness or nothingness. If, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, emptiness, empty, everything's empty. That's Abel's name. Um, I don't think she was thinking about his self-esteem when she named him um, but let's face it, if, you, if you've just given birth to Cain and he's the promised one and the hope of mankind is in Cain, I mean, what need is there of Abel? I mean, we don't need him. We got Cain. He's our hope. And I think Abel grew up knowing that that he was unneeded, he was unwanted, he was unloved. He was nothing. I mean, that's literally the translation of his name. He's nothing. And so he grew up like many of us. Maybe many of you have grown up struggling with his identity. Um, He knew he was unaccepted, he was unloved, he was unwanted, and he really didn't have much of anything to live for. But then, and this is the incredible thing as we come to Genesis here and then we see him described in Hebrews chapter 11 In, in some way he came to understand that despite who he was to everyone else he could have a relationship with God. He'd heard Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 uh, describe how, in verse 21, in their sin being separated from God, God had made garments of animal skins for them and clothed them. When they tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves and it hadn't done anything, they still experienced the shame and from their sin, but then God slew an animal and covered them with those animal skins and and clothed them and and covered their sin and brought them back into relationship with God. And and Abel knew that story. And he's thinking, in the same way, even though I'm nothing in the eyes of everyone else, I can have a relationship with God in the same way if I come to him with a, a sacrifice. It was how God had made a way for his parents to come back in a relationship with God, and he knew now that he could, in the same way, come back in a relationship with God, and so I think he was excited. I, I think he went to his flock, and and thinking that 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 he who was nothing could become something to God, he went to his flock, and he he found these firstlings, these firstborn lambs, these baby lambs, and, and he brought them his very best and their fat portions to offer to God. Nothing was too good for God, who in his mercy, Abel was realizing could turn him a nobody into a somebody in relationship to God. So do you see why Abel offered a better offering than Cain? Because he had to. He owed God everything, his best. I wonder if this is what makes the difference between those who live their lives for themselves and give their lives wholeheartedly to God. So what difference did it make? Last question. What made Abel righteous? In, in, in Hebrews 11.4 it says, because of his faith, God called him righteous. Righteous. And I don't want us to get the wrong thinking that okay, faith makes you righteous because it's not saying that faith makes you righteous. It's saying because of his faith, God called him righteous. If you have faith um, in the wrong thing, that faith doesn't make you righteous. And it's not your faith itself that makes you righteous. What is it that made him righteous? Back to Genesis 4, notice it says, after Cain and Abel had both brought their offerings, it says, notice the wording, it says, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and on his offering. You notice that? The Lord looked with favor on Abel and on his offering. The Lord, I believe, looked with favor on Abel and considered him righteous because Abel in his neediness in his nothingness, offered his sacrifice and as, as an expression of his need of the Lord, and his gratitude to the Lord for being the answer to his neediness. And so when he offered his offering, it came from a heart that recognized his neediness and God as the answer to his neediness. He being nothing, but God being the one who could make him something. You know, it's exactly the, the process that we that we see in the in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount where it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that they're spiritually poor. And then who mourn about it and who are humble, who realize that they can't do anything about it, and therefore they hunger and they thirst after the righteousness of that is in Jesus. That's the Beatitudes. I think Cain thought he had it all together. He was the gift. He was the hope of mankind. But Abel had come to understand, he had come to get that God was what he needed. And with that conviction and that confidence, he offered his best to the Lord and became to us an example of faith. I think if you were to put them side by side we see Cain, he's self-righteous. He thinks that he's good. He's got it. Whereas Abel realizes that his righteousness is in God and and it's all by God's grace that has made him who is nothing, something. (coughs) In Romans (coughs) 12.1 Paul writes, and he writes this after chapters 1 to 11, which are, if you haven't read it recently, I'd encourage you to read it, just an amazing exposition of the gospel, of our sin, and how we're made righteous in Jesus. And it's all by God's grace, who is the sovereign God. In chapters 1 through 11, that's what Paul's doing. He's just laying out the gospel. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, Right after doing this, this is what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of this good news that I've just laid out for you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And the picture is of a whole burnt offering in the Old Testament, the only offering where they offered up the whole animal In gratitude to God for his goodness and his grace. And and that's what Paul says, "In, in light of God's mercy and grace, offer your bodies completely, offer yourselves totally, fully. Give your best to God. Give your all to God. That's what he deserves. That is your true and proper worship in light of what he's done for us. I've shared this before. It it was C.T. Studd, another national hero in England, cricket hero, the most famous cricket hero. Um, That's kind of like baseball, but a weird form of it. Um, In England, who gave up it all, the fame and the wealth, to also go to China as a missionary, and then afterwards to Africa, where he died. And this is what he said. He said, if Jesus is really God and if he really died on the cross for my sins, okay, if, if this man Jesus is really God and if he really died on the cross for my sins, then there should be nothing too great for me to do for him. Right? If we get who God is, if we get it and if we get what he's done for us, then he deserves our best. It was another missionary, Jim Elliot, who also gave his life as a martyr to bring the gospel to the Aka Indians in South America, who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I think that's what was going through Eric Liddell's mind. It's no fool who gives up a gold medal to gain the eternal approval of God. You can't compare them. This is the point. Jesus, the creator of the universe, He gave His all for us, for our salvation on the cross. And if we get that good news... We will have to give our all for Him. As Paul says in Second Corinthians, His love will compel us. In concluding, do we, do we get it? Do we get how great God is? Do we get the gospel and, and what our God, the God of the universe has done on our behalf? Or do we live a token religious existence? Uh, Let's see, God, I think I can fit you in this Sunday. Um, I don't have anything else pressing. And we wouldn't say that out loud. But um, You know, I might even have some time to volunteer next year uh, at a late night. Um, Just don't ask for money, God. Does the way we give our lives for Jesus demonstrate faith that we get that we are people of grace? People who have just been poured out God's goodness upon us. So brothers and sisters, we need need to get back into our Bibles, don't we? And we need to stay in them until we get how good God is and the good news and and, and the grace people we are we're not good people and that's why God has reached out to us word while we were still sinners Christ died for us and, and it's his grace that has saved us and we need to get back into the bibles maybe maybe a good place to start would be Romans chapters one through 11 just Read it and get the gospel all over again until it grabs you and he gets what he deserves from us. So, um, Lord Sands, that's Lord is like a royalty in England, I guess. Lord Sands, an Edinburgh Scotland leader at a dinner honoring Eric Liddell after his victory, summarized Eric's impact this way. It is because this young man put his whole career as a runner in the balance, and he deemed it small dust compared to remaining true to his God. There are greater issues in life than sports, And the greatest of these is loyalty to the God of the universe. Here is a young man who considered the commandment to rest and worship high above the fading laurel crown and who conquered. And it was Paul, the tentmaker of Tarsus, who watched the Olympic Games many centuries before and wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, They who run in a race all run but only one receives the prize. Run in a way that you may obtain. How are we running? Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are good, and it is by your grace that we are what we are. Oh, God, open our eyes to see and give us that conviction and that confidence. Make us people of faith who will give you our best. That's what you deserve. Amen.